Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Charleswood Tuxedo Westwood Counselor Kevin Klein reacts to a quote in a year-end interview from Mayor Brian Bowman. Bowman rejecting Klein's idea of a debate between the two of them on crime. Chris Adams is a political scientist at St. Paul's College at the U of M. We'll talk to him about a new poll that shows the NDP up five points in Manitoba. The Tories down five. And Dr. Cyrus Dirksen will join us as well. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Joining us now on the phone, Kevin Klein, counselor for Charleswood, Tuxedo, and Westwood. Kevin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Um, so I I was checking out uh, what the competition was up to, and I noticed they had a year-end interview with Mayor Brian Bowman. And he <laughs> yeah. was at you. You're chuckling because you're well aware of this. Um, he, Mayor Bowman was asked by the reporter about your challenge to debate. You and Bowman, you you suggested that maybe the mayor and you should debate uh, crime and public safety and those issues. You're, of course, um, on the police board as well. And uh, here is Bowman's quote, and I want to get your reaction. We don't get ahead by tearing each other down. We do it by supporting each other and collaborating. And that's why I appointed him chair of the police board, because he talks a big game when it comes to fixing communities' ills in dealing with public safety and being fiscally responsible. Your reaction, Councillor Klein? Well, my first reaction was a a little bit of a chuckle, but uh, I was not surprised at all. The uh, duck and weave uh, certainly is his mantra. I I don't think since the time I've been in office, not once has uh, this administration or the mayor ever accepted responsibility for anything that is happening in the city. Not water and waste, not the phosphorus, nothing. And his comment about collaboration, well, I mean, I don't want to hold anything back. It's just, it's simply hypocritical um, because this administration has zero collaboration, unless, of course, you're his hand-picked EPC, and now we know he's increased the number of EPC, not gotten rid of it, increased it by adding two more people, and uh, you and I are paying for, uh, for those votes so that he gets his yes votes. But let's look at the collaboration. I mean, I've asked to meet him on several occasions, never replied, never had that meeting. I've emailed, never get a reply, never have a meeting. I've asked for meetings about certain budget issues, don't get them. Uh, Phone calls about certain things, don't get them. Uh, Calls back from the staff, and and thank goodness somebody's there to answer the phone, I guess. But that is not collaboration to me. And the, 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 the debate, it's just an outright lie. Uh, we do not debate at City Council. Everything there happens behind closed doors, and everything is on one person's agenda, and that is not making this city better. All right, so there's your reaction, and I wanted to get that. Now, let me ask you a couple of uh, questions. I mean, we've heard from other councillors as well that are not part of his inner circle that, yes, there's not a lot of collaborating going on. We've heard that from others. We hear it a lot from you. What do you say to your critics that say you just complain about everything, you, you, some people feel like you complain just to complain. Well, 
And fair enough. Everyone is welcome to their opinion. But if we go back to the facts where I've asked for meetings, if you look at the motions that I've put forward, where he says I talk a big talk, well, I've put motions forward to help with the budget, zero-based budgeting, don't cut here, let's do this, stop uh, giving executive raises, make sure executives have to tell us where they're going for lunch, who's taking them or sending them on trips, and they voted down. So is that complaining or is that doing exactly what I promised to do by holding people accountable? There's millions of dollars that are spent within City Hall that we have no idea, truly have no idea where it's going. And we, we're not allowed to ask those questions. Hell, right now if I ask for information, I have to go to a special email. I can't even ask somebody in the city. If I do, I get an email back, oh, we were told not to answer you. You have to go to this email. And, and, who's an email, and whose email is that? Is it's it? an inquiry email for the CAO. Hmm. And this is the, you know, and again, it's all this, it's this hypocritical, just keep saying it and somebody's going to believe it approach. There is no collaboration. It's not complaining. I'm worried about our city. Yeah. Okay. So you, so you, you made your point on the collaboration. Now, let me ask you another question. What would, what would a debate, what purpose would a debate serve between you and Mayor Bowman? Well, if this is truly the biggest issue, I think that he also said that. Um, in the media, if this is truly the biggest issue, then we should have a debate. I mean, the only discussion that ever happens with the mayor is via the media. If we say something in the media, then he'll respond to it. And if he doesn't respond to it, he'll send one of his you know, good little soldiers, uh, Councillor Gillingham, Councillor Lard, and so on, to come out and say something opposed to what we're putting forward. So it's very engineered. It's very contrived. It, it, it really is uh, unfortunate because if we're such a big city, and we are, we've always been a big city, um, this is not how one should act. And let me ask you one final question. People, I was teeing this conversation up and I read the quote from Mayor Bowman earlier and people have been texting and emailing saying, Hal, make sure you ask Councillor Klein if he intends to run for mayor. Would you like to make some news here on CJOB today? Will you run for mayor? Uh, because that might be the only time you get a chance to debate Mayor Bowman. Well, you know, look, there's no election right now, um, and I'll, I'm going to keep doing what I promised to do, and I'm going to keep holding them accountable. I'm going to keep asking the questions that make them uncomfortable. Um, and, and really, I'll tell you this, if the people of Winnipeg want change and they want to make things different and they want me to run for mayor, they'll tell me, and then we'll do it together. We'll take Winnipeg back together. But it's the people of Winnipeg who are going to tell me that. But I will say this. So, but do, let me let me interrupt. I, I, I will like give you, now. Kevin. I will give you the final word. I'll, I'll give you the final word. But I got to interrupt you there. That sounds like you're ready to run. As I said, I'm not changing who I am. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, put in a corner, not allowed to ask questions. I'll keep going to the city. I'm going to do what I said I would do: hold people accountable. And right now, I work for the people of Charleswood, Tuxedo, Westwood. And if people want me to run for mayor, if they want change, I'll take my cue from them because that's who pays me. That's who pays me. I'm not going to do it just because I want to say that I'm mayor. I work for a living. I want to work for a living. I don't want a title. I, I, and if that's what they want, then we'll do it together, and we'll take Winnipeg back. Okay, and I'll give, I interrupted you. I apologize. Final word then. No, I'm just going to say, if I do, I can guarantee you one thing. The city will not be run like it is today at all. Councillor Klein, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Kevin Klein, counselor for Charleswood Tuxedo and Westwood, reacting to a year-end interview with Mayor Brian Bowman. Basically, he said, 
nah, I'm not going to debate Klein when it comes to crime, something that Klein has suggested. Your thoughts, 204-780-6868. A new poll from Probe Research basically says uh, the Tories are down five and the NDP are up five. That's the latest polling. And it's been, uh, well, September 10th was the election. And uh, not much happening with the Liberals and the Greens. Liberals at 13%, the Greens at 6%. So let's talk about it with political scientist Chris Adams. He's at St. Paul's College at uh, the University of Manitoba. Good afternoon, Chris. Hi, Hal. Nice to be on your show again. Yeah, hope you had a Merry Christmas. All the best in 2020. What do you make of this new poll, the NDP up five and the Tories down five since Election Day a few months ago? Yes. Uh, um, I, you know, I was a little bit surprised, as were some of the other commentators I've, I've heard. But at the same time, you know, as Kelly Saunders over at uh, Brandon University commented, that it's after a first election, you might get a bump or a halo. Um, after a re-election, uh, maybe less so. So... This was the second election for Brian Pallister, so it doesn't look like he had a huge bump afterwards. Um, At the same time, I think what's particularly interesting in these numbers, and uh, Scott McKay over at Probe Research gave me the uh, full media release, um, that within the city of Winnipeg, the the, um, NDP are really uh, doing well, 43% compared to 32% for the PCs. So I would say over the next couple of years, the PCs have to work to get those numbers back up for themselves. Well, in numbers like that a few months ago on Election Day really might have made this a close race. Maybe even, uh, you know, it might have went the NDP's way. Well, that that's uh, quite possible. You know, more than half of the seats in Manitoba are located in the Winnipeg region. So to be uh, high um, high in the polls within Winnipeg really is a formula for winning an election. I would say also, Hal, that that, uh, the Liberals seem to be in the doldrums right now, and and that's to the benefit of the NDP. If you look at the the Liberals, they're at 13%, and that's way too low for them to have any traction in the city. And and, uh, I think to the NDP are the beneficiaries of that. Do you think that might lead to another uh, leadership race for the Liberals? I don't think so right now. I think uh, people in the party think that Dugald Lamont ran a fairly good campaign in the last election. He did uh, win the uh, St. Boniface riding when it was a by-election. That was Selinger's old riding, and the fact that he held on to it in this election uh, shows well for the party. So they don't really have the capacity to start doing uh, um, uh, leadership change, and I, I think he's been one of the more positive sides for that party. Back to the headline in the poll, you know, I like to play a political scientist on radio sometimes. I don't know if I'm any good at it. Sometimes I think I am, but uh, here's my thought. I I look at the NDP doing better. I wonder if they did better in the election than a lot of people thought, and then now people are going, hey, they may still be contenders someday, maybe soon, to run the province again. Maybe some people wrote them off, and now they're seeing some strength there and saying, hey, my, my vote might be okay there. Yeah, and I think, you know, the further away we get from the um, the period in which Selinger had real challenges within the party, and right after that, uh, early in, in Pallister's first term, the NDP were still having problems with problems within their caucus. Um, they had some issues with certain members, and uh, so a lot of that sort of 
bad feeling uh, from 2015, 2016 has faded away. So that's become more of a memory than a, than a, a part of reality. And I think Wab Canoe has performed better than expected. Would you not agree with that? I would agree, and and uh, he looked uh, visibly happy and relieved on election night that he hadn't lost uh, um, any of his incumbents, and he uh, um, had had done fairly well. Uh, so, you know, the, some people are saying that that it's uh, that that you know that these numbers in the polls that it's very early in the in the new term of the PC government. But at the same time, I think it's healthy for our democracy to have a, a strong opposition, to have uh, somebody like Wab Canoe, if he feels he's got the wind in his sails, to be able to stand up in the assembly and and, um, and perform his role as leader of the loyal opposition. Hey, Chris, I won't ask you about a New Year's resolution, but I'm wondering, are you seeing anything in your crystal ball in 2020 politically, whether it's provincially or federally or, or even in, you know, civic politics, Anything at all that maybe we should be watching for? Any predictions from from you today, Chris? Well, you know, I, I think the big thing, Hal, is that we're uh, looking at a federal liberal government that's in a minority situation. Uh, the, the main opposition party, the Conservative Party of Canada, is going into a leadership race that's going to be in the spring. So that's just a few months away. Thank goodness the spring's so short from now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who steps forward. It'll be a very quick leadership campaign. And uh, um, there, there are different names being put forward, but I, I would watch for that, and I would see, I would say that uh, uh, the extent to which the Liberal government's willing to be uh, defeated in the Parliament to go into a new election, um, I think Justin Trudeau might be willing to do that. Except if the Conservatives elect a new leader, and uh, there's a big bounce in the polls, there usually is after a leadership convention for the Conservatives. Chris, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Alan. We'll talk in the new year. Take care of yourself. Chris Adams, uh, he is a political scientist at St. Paul's College at the University of Manitoba, commenting on the new probe research poll that shows the NDP in Manitoba up five points, the governing Tories led by Pallister down by five points. Three months out from the election, which of course saw the Tories uh, sweep to power again. Getting some uh, reaction here, text messages and emails, 204-780-6868. To the next conversation we're going to have after a break here, we'll break, we'll check the weather, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Councillor Kevin Klein about a year-end interview that Mayor Bowman has done, basically, uh, the way I read it, saying no to the idea of a debate between Klein and Bowman when it comes to crime and public safety, something that Klein has said he'd be open to. And uh, people are reacting. Hey, Hal, please ask Klein if he is going to run to be mayor in 2022 or not. That is on my list of questions for Councillor Klein. Fear not, listener. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here. DrCyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Doc, thank you for doing this. So it's good to be here on the holidays. Yes, kind of. Eh? Actually, can I tell you something? I was, I was, because I, I was having a hard time going, okay, I worked Monday and then I'm off Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday. Now it's Friday, but it doesn't feel like Friday. Mm-hmm. So I, I read up on this uh, a little bit and I'll share oh. this with you. You'll be proud of me. I did a little research. Usually you're the one that does the research. I read the headline and you tell me about it and I did a little research. So psychologists, basically they say that over the holidays, 
The holidays warp our perception of time. Oh, interesting. So you can't, you know, keep track, right? Here's what it says. Psychologists and neutral uh, psychologists and neuroscientists agree on this. They say a similar thing happens when we go on vacation, when we lose sight of markers like the start of a work week or weekends and bedtimes, and you couple that with new experiences, sights and sounds. We get a warped perception of time, like on vacation mm, yep. or, in, or in holidays. Yeah. Interesting. That, that makes sense, right? It's it does a relative make sense. Thing. You know, when we I was working in the prison, I would see this with people who were in solitary confinement. They would just have a... Comp- they would Oftentimes when in isolation, it seems to me, I haven't seen research on this, people will reverse their schedules, and that's what would happen in solitary confinement. They'd have, you know, just a very different sense of time. And uh, they've actually done experiments, we should look them up, where they've had people, this was done at the University of Manitoba, where they created rooms that were not quite sensory deprivation, but they um, they were like rooms inside of rooms in order to make them completely soundproof. Hmm. And they had no markers of time inside them, and they did experiments on people in that kind of environment. So it's just huh. interesting. People have really looked at this. So what do you make of, we were talking to the NDP on Monday, because <laughs> no, well, there is a, it's not politics, trust okay. me. But the NDP is saying, hey, Manitobans, we want to hear from you on time change. Should we oh. stick with daylight saving time? Oh. And other jurisdictions are doing that. And, you know, we've said, oh, people will say, oh, there's more crashes when the time change. Do you think there might be a benefit to saying, here's the time, period, we're mm. sticking with that, rather than change it a couple times a year? Well, or? I haven't done any research on yeah. this, but no, just, just based on the yeah. idea that uh, changing times does seem to mess with people in a lot of ways. I don't know how much really one hour mm. twice a year makes a yeah. difference. Uh, but in general, that's not great for people to change times. It's it's better for people in their lives to stay stable. Like, for example, if somebody had bipolar disorder, one of the things that we say to them is try to create a st- as stable a life as possible, especially around sleep. And so, um, you know, it, and, and even people with insomnia and things like this, we're often saying, like, don't even have different wake-up times on the weekend, you know, have right. a seven day schedule, yeah. not even a five day schedule. Yeah. And so just in terms of that, although I mm-hmm. realized that yeah. one hour every, you know, right. not, a, not necessarily a big deal that would on from, from a psychologist's yeah. point of view. Yeah. Let's keep it the same. And we don't like change. Do no. we? Right. No. We, we, we fight Mm-mm. change. Yeah, that's right. We, people really do like stability and, mm. uh, and we like excitement and challenges, but we like to be able to choose when those happen right. and not have them done to us. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. To the headlines now, Dr. Cyrus has done his research. I read one article and pulled an interesting <laughs> line out of it. Uh, Dr. Cyrus has checked into a few things here. So here's the headline, the link between drawing and seeing in the brain. So we're drawing and how does our brain mm-hmm. see that or what's the connection? When I was younger, I actually wanted to be an artist. This was, uh, my, yeah, my really? dad was an artist. I became kind of almost a potter in my high school. Anyway, so I like art. Yeah. I like the idea that drawing could be good for you. One of the things that's really interesting in our brain is that um, the the parts of our brain serves, serve multiple pur- purposes. So things that we might think are done by different parts are actually done by the same parts. So for example, if you had difficulty reading other people's emotions, like if I didn't know if people were happy or sad, we see this sometimes in autism, I can't read other people's emotions, I might have trouble producing emotions, emotional expressions that are accurate. Hmm. The same part of the brain that seems to be responsible for helping us to read other people is also responsible for expressing it. 
another example is if you are imagining hearing your mother's voice in your head, you're actually using the same part of your brain that is actually for hearing. Um, your, your auditory part of your brain is doing both of those things. It's just with one of them, it's like, oh, this is imagination. The other one, like it's not real. And then the other one is mm. like, this is real. They're actually listening to your mom right now. She's right in the room. Right. Uh, so these parts of our brain do multiple things. And it seems like it's the same thing with drawing. So when we are drawing, we are actually using the uh, like the image part of our brain, that that visual part of our brain. We're actually seeing it in our head and we are using that to help us draw. Now that image part of our brain doesn't actually get better when we draw a lot. Uh, it stays the same. So you either got it or you don't. We're, we're pretty good at imagining yeah, the imagination kind of stays the same. What gets better over time is the ability to transfer the information from the image part of your brain to the motor part of your brain. So hmm. you can actually get better at getting your hand to draw what you're imagining. Because that was going to be my question. Why are some of us better mm. at drawing or mm-hmm. art than mm-hmm. others? So, but This is a brain skill. You can learn to get better. So practice yeah, makes you, perfect. Eh? It's like a lot of things in our lives with, with our brain. I mean, when you think about, oh, we can change your brain and people think that's a really big deal. It's like, yeah. well, that's what we have school for. That's why people get better at everything. Right. Anytime anybody changes in their abilities, mm-hmm. and that's what school has been designed for. It's been designed to change your brain. So as you people learn to draw, they get better at drawing as they get older. Older, they, uh, you know, through practice, we we can get better at it. But some people mm. just have more potential. So and so, uh, it's kind of an interaction, like with a lot of things. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Are, can we get better? Is it? Are there things that maybe we can't improve at, or can we always improve in in between uh, the years? Well, we can always improve, but we have different limitations. So mm. um, I'm often doing uh, intellectual testing, uh, especially for children and different things like this, and I'm having to tell people at least the theory around IQ is that it's unchangeable. Mm. Uh, you can get better with age, but you will stay the same relative to your peers, particularly after age nine. So we have a little bit more room there. But yes, people are. Um, people are a little bit more limited. There's always exceptions. There's, you know, we're always proven wrong. The theory around IQ is not Mm -hmm. perfect. Uh, but there is this general idea that you do kind of stay the same, which is why like in places, I think, I don't know for sure if it's Germany where they have like around the end of elementary school or grade four, they start to select people who are going to university or going to colleges or going to trades or, you know, like different things like that because their brains are different and they measure those things. Now it's not perfect. So the system is good for a lot of people, but it's not great. Almost like an aptitude test. Yes, like an aptitude test. What can you do? Hmm. So yeah, there are limitations. Well, as I've told... And it's interesting. We're going to talk about my IQ. As you said, there are limitations. (laughs) We will measure it one day. One day we will measure it. But as I was going to say, the reason I like not measuring it is because then I I can make up the number. I can just go, I have a very high IQ. I'm sure I do, but we don't need to test that, Doc. Don't don't even worry about testing it. People get very anxious around measuring their IQ. I get anxious even just talking about it right now because I think... See, what is IQ is, is because I think in some ways I'm very smart, but in other ways I think I'm really stupid. Yeah. It's interesting. There's different aspects to it, right? Like, can you process things quickly and do you come to the right decision? You know, like as you get older, uh, older people process things slower. So in some ways their IQ is diminishing over mm. time because one of the measures of IQ is processing speed. There's a few different things we measure, but one of them is processing speed. So in that way, yeah, they're having trouble. However, they make better decisions. 
as you get older, they have experience. So we're not as fast, yeah. but we make better. They make they use, they okay. use their life skills, patience, their character. Everything comes into play to make better decisions. They might not be but able to. But is that part of IQ too, or is it no, about doing? Yeah, see, that's, that's not. It's, see, wisdom is not measured. This in an is IQ why test. we are not testing my <laughs> IQ ever, and certainly never on the radio. <laughs> Uh, you could be very wise with a low IQ. It's possible. I mean, they are related, but yes, they are yeah. different things. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyhow, I, I do get nervous talking about it with you. That's very funny. Uh, are you listening? Question mark. That's the headline. What's this one all about? What's oh. this? Are you listening? By the way, we're going to get to uh, social nourishment and restorative solitude equaling human oh. thriving. That's after the break. And also finding life's meaning can keep us healthy as we age. But right now, are you listening? Well, I always think about this because we're, I'm always trying to teach people to listen, especially in couples counseling, teaching people to listen. Ah, you know, get them to do this. And it's a skill. You can learn it. There is a will. You have to be willing to actually put yourself aside and, and all of your stuff aside and actually focus on what the other person is trying to say. Um, but even still, there's some skills around doing it that you can do it better. But what's interesting that this article pointed out, which I loved because I've seen this, but I've, I've never looked at it this way. I've never put these kinds of words to it, is that there are so many people who have never been listened to. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it an epidemic, but like there's this masses of people who have never been listened to. And if you have never been listened to, it can be hard to listen to yourself. Like people can be, have a difficult time actually processing their own lives, actually being listened to for the first time because the focus is on them. It can actually be uncomfortable. Usually people push through that uncomfortableness because it is so compelling to be listened to. I'll have people say, oh, don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. Like, don't do that counseling stuff or whatever. And then they sit down and I start listening to them and they can't stop themselves. They kind of just have to keep talking, you know, like right. because they, it's just such a... It's like water, you know, that's yeah. never been given. They're so thirsty for it. Um, but yes, people will have uh, this this kind of epidemic and they can sometimes have really difficulty or self-consciousness about actually speaking about themselves and having mm-hmm. some spotlight on them for a little while, uh, which is really interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a talent that you have to have to do my job. And mm. there are some days where I don't listen carefully enough. Right. If you listen, often you can go in with one or two questions and mm-hmm. do a 10-minute in- interview mm-hmm. if you listen, mm-hmm. because more questions will arise from what the person said. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. And if you pay attention, you, you only need one or two questions mm-hmm. to go into an interview, and based on what the person tells you, you'll be able to carry on a conversation and ask more interesting Actually, ask better questions yeah. because they're based on what the person's saying, yeah. not what you think they might say before the interview. Where they actually want to go, and right. that's going to point then to what they're going to be able to speak about in a more interesting, thoughtful, deeper way, right? You know, you're yeah. actually going to be able to draw themselves out. And this idea that if you, if to put that in the other other side, if you have never been listened to, it's hard to figure out who you are hmm. uh, because nobody's ever paid attention to you. And we or process... Or you think it doesn't matter. Nobody yes, listens anyhow, so nobody, it doesn't matter. I don't matter. Right. And also we process externally. We have thoughts in our head, but what's real, what's not. There's often a reality that's brought to our own identity or emotions when we actually process it with other people. And that's why we do counseling is to help people to really understand themselves. And we think we can do that on our own, but we often just get really muddled. And uh, I don't really, I, I don't have a good explanation for why that happens, but mm-hmm. it's so consistent where people who remain in themselves become more and more emotionally confused. 
Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here. DrCyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.